Let's just come and pray together. Father, we thank you for the many, many ways in which you bless us in our lives. We thank you for the material needs we have that you provide for so abundantly in this country. We thank you for family and friends who meet our emotional needs and so many other needs in our lives. But Lord, we thank you more than anything that in Jesus, in your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you provide for the very deepest needs of our life. Because you show us your love, you guide us in your ways, you fill us with your grace and with your power. And Lord, we come to you now, we bring this offering, we bring our lives, and we pray that you'll help us and guide us and show us how to respond to you properly, how to live lives that reflect your glory. Lord, teach us more this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm just going to ask you, I'm just going to read the passage. We're, we're still looking at, at God's will. We've been looking at God's will and guidance over the last, well, this will be the third week, and we're going to continue that this morning and for, for next week as well. But I'm just going to read some verses from Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 15. <coughs> And we read Paul's words where he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God, to, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, I just want to begin this morning by confessing to you that since last Sunday I've had a little bit of a, a guilty conscience because as those of you who are here last week will perhaps remember looking at the question of how to find the will of God, I used the, the famous guidance illustration of, of the harbour and the four harbour lights. You know, God's word, wise Christian counsellors, circumstances, a sense of peace. And, well, basically, I suppose, I blew the harbour up. For I showed, I think, that neither individually nor even collectively, on those very rare occasions when these four do all seem to, to line up together, never should they be allowed to have the last word, the ultimate say in guidance. But now you see, I have got a guilty conscience because I know that probably many of you in the past have held to these very areas as, as kind of vital, crucial, the defining thing in guidance. And while you perhaps interpreted what I said as implying, therefore, that all your guidance thinking and all your guidance decisions are at least suspect 
if not definitely wrong. That being the case, having blown up the harbour, what I now want to do is to try to clear away some of the debris. And how I want to begin to do this is by saying to you right now, as clearly as I possibly can say it, that I am not saying that these things, and indeed numerous other areas and factors, that they've got no relevance, no part to play in guidance. Now what I am saying is that there has to be something else. There has to be something foundational. There has to be something in there at the very roots of our lives before we are ever going to be able to be sure that we are interpreting correctly, that we're using to their full potential guidance aids such as those four harbour lights. And that's what I want to look at with you this morning. That the kind of foundational qualities that we need that we might know how to find the will of God. That we might be able to assess correctly through things like God's Word, circumstances, advisors, etc. Just exactly what God wants of us in our lives today. And the first thing here that I believe that we need to do is, is to get hold of the key principle. The key principle. And what is the key principle? The key principle is that in every situation, what should come first for the people of God is the glory of God. In every situation, what our first thought should be is what can I do here to best advance God's cause? Yes, and so when faced by maybe an array of choices or by a decision that we have to make, then the choice for us, our decision will be, should be, that which enables us best to serve God, that which enables us best to make use of our lives and the gifts that we've got in the service of the Lord. Now, now getting a hold of this principle and keeping this principle central to our lives helps us, I believe, to avoid two common excesses, common guidance mistakes, one of which certainly is more prevalent in, in Christianity today, but both of which can, I believe, be found that the first, the more prevalent, is what I suppose I would call the spiritual butterfly syndrome. And what I'm talking about here, I think most of you will recognize the kind of person I'm describing. And that's someone who never seems to steer a straight course through life at least not for more than a week or two, or maybe at the best, a few months. They start this off, they start that off, but they never seem to see it through. And it all begins with a wild burst of enthusiasm, but then before you know it, they're off and they're on to something else. And always it seems to be justified with one or another basically biblical but certainly well-worn sayings that I think can degenerate into cliches. I feel that this is what the Lord is saying to me now. I feel this is the way that God is leading. And you see, that's intended to make it impossible for you to disagree with them. I have to say, though, that the thought that sometimes flashes into my mind is, I wish the Lord would make his mind up. Because of course, 
This kind of flitting about from ministry to ministry isn't symptomatic of somebody who's being led by the Lord. This isn't God's way to start things off and then drop them, to wander through life in a confused, illogical kind of fashion. This isn't God's way. Rather, that what this is, is this is indicative of somebody who's been led by their own feelings, who's been led by their own inclinations, who's allowing themselves to be ruled by their own desires. They're dressing it up in spiritual sounding language, maybe. They're trying to spiritualize what's actually going on in their life. But the way that they're living shows what's really actually happening, what's really going on in them. And you see, things will never change. They will never get any kind of stability into their life. They'll never have any kind of sense of real direction and purpose until they get a hold of and make central to their lives this key principle of living for God's glory. The other excess in guidance, the less prevalent one in in contemporary Christianity, I believe, is best summed up in what at one time was a fairly frequently given piece of advice, guidance advice, and that is always take the road on which the shadow of the cross falls. In other words, whenever you're faced with a decision that has to be made, whenever you have to choose between a a whole series of alternatives, then always choose the one that involves the most sacrifice for you. Always choose the one that has the least appeal for you. And then you can be sure that you're choosing God's way. Now you see, this is almost the exact opposite of what we've just looked at. But that doesn't make this view. That God's guidance, God's will, must be that which makes you most miserable. It doesn't make it one iota more correct. For again, you see, The issue isn't, or at least shouldn't be, what course of action will make me happy, make me feel good, or alternatively, what cause of action will make me miserable, but at least feel virtuous. No, the issue is, which is the way that will enable me to best reflect God's glory? Which is the way that will enable me to be most effective in my service for Him? Now, you see... The facts actually are that as we live in this kind of way, as God's glory does come first for us, as this is the principle that does govern our understanding of his will for our lives, well then often, living in God's will, living for God's glory, that will bring us happiness. It will bring us joy. It will bring us fulfillment. And we will feel good living in this way. But, That won't be our reason for living. It will be a byproduct of our living. Our reason for living rather will always be, or at least should always be, the glory of God. Now, in the same way, there are times, I think we've got to face up to this, when when following God's will for our lives will lead us into hardship and into suffering. There are times when Following God's will will lead us into testing and trial. But you see, hard though that might be when we're going through it, and hard though it surely must, yet if we're in God's will, 
it won't leave us miserable. It won't destroy us. No, because if we're in God's will and if we really have a heart for God, then even in the midst of all our pain, there will always be that foundation of joy. So you see, this idea that being in God's will and being miserable, the kind of things that necessarily go hand in hand, that is a lie. It's a lie that's fostered by the devil, and it's one that we as believers should reject, not only by the words that we say, but by the way that we actually live our lives. So anyway then, if we're going to be able to discern God's will, if we're going to be able to assess and and figure through all the different guidance information that comes our way, then the first foundational quality that we need is a firm grasp on this key principle of the glory of God. The second foundational quality that I believe that we need is building on this, we also have to develop the essential character. The essential character. What I mean by this? I mean that we have to seek to build the kind of Christian character that will enable us to see God's way. And while this might come as a surprise to some of you, I want to say that I see the mind as all important in this. But you may be thinking, but, but wait a minute. Surely the mind, surely our thinking, surely our, our human cunning, our human guile, surely that gets in the way of what the Lord, what the Holy Spirit wants to do to lead us into in life. Isn't that what's taught? In the Bible, certainly there are places in the Bible, there does seem to be an emphasis in the Bible that does tell us to beware of the mind. For example, Proverbs 16.9, In the heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Of course, the famous verses in James 4. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if this is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. So yes, that teaching is there in the Bible. But there is at the same time another thread of teaching that runs through the Bible. Where use of the mind, thought and planning do seem very much to be advocated, seem as favourable. For example, Proverbs 12.5, the plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. And also you find many examples in the Bible of of men who used their minds, of men who were great planners and who were commended by God and used by God as a result of that. For example, Joseph, who because of his ability in planning 
was made Pharaoh's chief steward and so was able to save God's people from famine. Nehemiah, who thought out and carefully planned how to rebuild Jerusalem and so, who as Nehemiah 6.15 tells us, was able to do in 52 days what had proved absolutely impossible over years for anyone else. And also in the the teaching of Jesus, particularly in a number of the parables, forethought and wise planning seem very much to be commended. You know, the wise man built his house upon the rock. So how do we fit this together? How do we make sense of this? I believe in that quite obviously there is a planning, a human planning, that is displeasing to God. There is a planning, there is a use of the mind where our schemes take God's place. Where we rely upon our ingenuity rather than submit to God's authority and sovereignty and seek His will. There is a planning then by men that is fleshly and worldly. A planning that leaves God out. But there's also, I believe, another kind of use of the mind. And Paul, who in his his famous missionary journeys used his mind so wonderfully well, who was the master planner, he makes this, this very clear in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 17. When he says, when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same way, the same breath, I say yes, yes, and no, no? Now Paul's inference here is obvious. That is that his planning isn't of the former kind, isn't worldly, isn't of the flesh, isn't a planning that's independent of God's sovereignty. But rather, his planning grows out of his relationship with God. His planning is an expression of his submission to God. His planning emerges not out of opposition, but rather out of a glorious and creative partnership between the human mind and the spirit of the Lord. Now you see, the kind of mind that makes this possible is elsewhere in the Bible called the renewed mind. It's called the transformed mind. And it's this mind, I believe, that is able to discern the will of God. It's this mind that is able to see the way that God is pointing us through life. And in fact, the Bible clearly tells us no less, because what does Paul say to us in in Romans 12, verse 2? He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he goes on, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But you may ask, well, how can I get then this kind of mind that has insight into the will of God? I mean, can this even be possible for me? Surely this is only for the select few, for the spiritual elite. What I want to tell you is that I believe that every believer receives a renewed mind, a transformed mind, when they come through faith to Jesus Christ. 
It's part and parcel of what, of what spiritual new birth is about. It's part and parcel of what it means to be a new creation in Christ. But you see, like everything else in the Christian life, if we are going to grow and develop in this, if this transformed mind is going to mature and so become ever more sensitive and open to God's leading, then we have to work at it. We've got to work at it. And Ephesians 4 22 tells us just this when it tells us that if we're going to live in the light of this new renewed mind then we have to put off our old self we have to turn away from our former ways we've got to turn away from our old lifestyle yes and we have to put on the new we have to live in the light of the new life we have in Christ but how can we mature and develop in this kind of area? How can we develop the kind of renewed mind that will enable us more easily to see and understand God's will? Well, think about it. What are the clearest revelations as believers that we have of the mind of God? Surely, it's in His Word and it's in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, these are God's means of revealing to us His heart, His mind, His will. So how do we develop a renewed mind? By reading God's Word. But more than that, by obeying God's Word. By seeking to live out God's Word. By seeking to saturate our lives in the Word of God. Yes, and then by opening our lives to the Spirit, by living in submission to the Spirit, by dealing with anything in our lives, any sin that is there that would hinder or quench the Spirit, and by working at our life in the Spirit, by working at our life of prayer. You see, that's how we develop a renewed mind. That's how we develop the kind of mind that will give us insight into the will of God, that will give us a sensitivity, a feel the will of God. And you know, I was, I was interested uh, as I looked at this to see just how closely related the Spirit-filled life and the Word of God actually are. For instance, in Ephesians 5.18, we're told to be filled with the Spirit. Read that earlier. And then going on from that in the remainder of the book of Ephesians, we're then given a description of the Spirit-filled lifestyle, what it looks like that it will express itself in a life of worship. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it will express itself in very practical ways. For instance, in wives submitting, husbands loving, in fathers not provoking children, in children obeying their servants, in in servants working well, and in masters being fair. You see, if you turn to Colossians you find almost precisely the same list. But there's no mention there of the Spirit. Now there, all of this is linked in Colossians 3.16 to letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. But you see, it's this. It's this in the end. It's this renewed mind. It's this that enables us to see and understand God's will, God's mind. It's this that enables us to see his way forward and so at least to plan our lives in a little 
detail ahead. It's this in our lives, having this, that gives us the ability to make the wise decisions that are then the greatest proof that we truly are being guided by the Lord. As Derek Tidbo puts it, he says, it would seem that finding guidance is about making wise decisions. When we do so, we can then be sure that God has guided. Well, let me just share here uh, a story from uh, Ron Dunn's life. I've probably shared it before, but it's relevant in this connection. And it's taken from his book, Don't Just Stand There, Pray Something, that for me, if you put it all together, just about says it all about guidance. And it was about a time in his life when his son was suffering from a manic depressive condition, which in fact later led him to commit suicide. And Ron Dunn says of this time, never had I felt so inadequate, so lost, so ignorant. Kay and I claim James 1.5 for ourselves. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. And so we began to pray for wisdom when confronted by what were traumatic family decisions. But there was no wisdom that came. There was no flash of brilliant insight, no swelling of wisdom in my head. I felt as dumbfounded as ever. In my desperation, I kept reading the verse over and over, trying to make myself believe it in spite of its obvious failure. I knew better than that, of course. It wasn't the promise that was failing, but what to do. Then I saw it, as clear as my face in the mirror. The last phrase in the verse, the promise itself says, and it will be given to him. Period. Just like that. If I ask God for wisdom, I must have it, whether I feel wise or not. Do you know what I did? I claimed the wisdom that God had promised and then began making the decisions that seemed best to me. I believed I had the right to assume that having asked God for wisdom, His wisdom was operating in me. It was scary. At the time, there was no way to know if my decisions were the right ones. Later, though, when that particular period was passed, I could look back and see that in every instance I had made the right decision. God had kept his promise in answer to my praying. And you see, I believe that Ron Dunn is right in what he says, but that there's actually even more to it than this. In the underlying Ron Dunn's prayers, in his heart, He had a hold of that key principle, for he was a man for whom God's glory always so clearly came first. Also, he was a man of a truly mature spiritual character. He was a man of the Word, a man of prayer, a man living in submission to the Spirit. He was a man of a truly renewed mind. And you see, I believe that it was this, when God answered his prayer, that enabled him to hear God. That it was this that enabled him to see God's way, to see God's will. It was this in the end that enabled him to make wise 
decisions. Without this kind of foundation though. And though God speaks and answers prayer. Although God seeks to reveal to us his will. Yet we won't have the kind of foundation. We won't have the kind of spiritual basis. The kind of framework. The kind of spiritual stability. That will enable us to hear and understand what God's saying. The direction in which he's pointing. So again, as I said last time, guidance, I believe, comes not primarily through the spectacular. Though at times God does guide through the spectacular. And neither does guidance come through some formula, whether it be the four harbour lights or whatever. No, primarily, guidance is to be found in the context of a relationship. A relationship with God. And it's as we get that relationship with God right, it's as we get to know God through the means he's laid out before us, it's then that we'll get to know God's will. Now you see, once we've, we've got that right, once we've got that foundation in, when, then all the other things that we've spoken about, God's word, open and closed doors, wise counsel, all of these things then come into play and do have a real importance. Because with that right foundation, we'll be able to assess them properly. We'll be able to discern what God really is saying, rather than just a human opinion, or at worst, a satanic deception. Take this foundation away, though. And go through life as a Christian without really first living for God's glory. Without working at developing a Christian mind. Never getting down to that. And then you might be able at times to get verses to justify what you're doing. You might be able to find open doors to close, to jump through. And you might be able to find people who advise you to jump through them. And you might even at times in your life, for a little while, feel good and have a sense of peace. You might have that, but what you will lack in your life is an overall sense of direction and purpose that lasts more than a few weeks or months. And surely in your life you will bear so little of the spiritual fruit that is the ultimate proof of the blessing of God on a life or ministry. But you see, God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for any of his people. No, he has a way that he wants you to walk in in your life, and he wants to lead you into it. So with God's help, may each of us get hold of that key principle. Develop that essential character that will enable us to hear God's voice. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that, Lord, you don't leave us without leading and guiding in life. You give us everything that we need. In Jesus, in the person of the Spirit, in your Word, and in so many other different ways, you want to build us up so that we can then discern through all that life brings us what you're saying and how you're leading. Lord, help us to take hold by faith of what you've given to us as your people. And this we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.